You're listening to the New Century Multiverse. Steamheart. Part 3. Doorways. Chapter 21. Agent Wolf. From the travel log of Raven, Steamheart limped the remaining expanse to Jefferson City, and Arlington put her in dry dock to begin repairs. Harry Arlington, Jefferson City, Missouri, June 4th, 1883. I'm looking over her body right now, and my heart is breaking. Bastards. There's dents all over. One of her main cables is severed. Spears are sticking out of her hide. Her front window is smashed in, and someone took a big chunk out of her rear left tire. It is a crime against technology, and I'm disturbed. Jeremy is standing with me. Jeremy is standing with me. Looking, Looking sad, too. He offers to help me get, get her He offers to help me get her back on her feet. What can I do? Make use of me. What can you do? Well, I'm not much with mechanical things. But I can hand you tools, write down notes if you need to make them, pass on messages to the rest of the crew, help you. Yes, that is exactly what I need. When I start work on her, I'm going to be here for the day, for the week. And when I do that, the rest of you are pretty much going to disappear in my head. But if I need someone strong, I won't be able to drop what I'm doing to find Abigail. Could you... could you do that when I ask? Absolutely, I can. And when supper time comes around? I'll bring you to where we're eating dinner. No, I need to stay. Then I'll bring supper to you. Yes. And when you need to sleep? Don't worry about that. Uh, no. I am going to worry about that. Major Butler's been making sure you sleep at night and get your rest. I'm going to back him up on that. I'll get your bed ready and tell you when it's time. I probably won't go when you tell me. Then I'll stick around here and wait until I see you rub your eyes. Deal. I regarded him and found myself smiling. All right, I said. Deal. You're my assistant. And your go-between. Think of me as your human carrier pigeon. Okay. What do you need right now? My toolbox and some water. You want one of those funnel cakes we smelled on the way in? Mmm. Yes, please. Yes, please. And with that... He turns tail and sprints from the stable. As I relax my eyes and let my mind start stacking up the list of actions into optimal order, I feel a little grin on the side of my mouth. I like funnel cake. I like funnel cake. I wish Truth were here to eat it with me. Tomorrow. Miguel and I traverse his forest as I feel my strength returning to me. We have been working on my speaking his language. It is hard going. I know yes, no, stay, cold, hot, 
water, food, sleep, and home. For every word I learn, he obligingly attempts to do the same with my language, using our sign as a bridge. He sounds all right when just using simple terms, but stringing together many into concepts becomes a growling, snarling mess that is difficult to listen to. So we stick with just the things we need to express which are important. Sign will help us deal with the abstract or complicated. I smell his kind. He calls them men. We hide from the men high up in the trees, watching them hunt. They are noisy and clumsy and have weapons that do not look dissimilar to the lion slavers we encountered on Rama. Then I watch one of them kill a buck, and the weapon bellows like thunder. I immediately smell the buck's blood and ascertain the damage these weapons can do to a body. Miguel calls them guns. I fear guns. Miguel encourages me to sleep at night instead of the daytime. The better to be wary of men. He also describes to me a fearsome creature. He calls a nahual. A nahual. The creatures are sick. If they bite you, you become sick too and lose yourself entirely. I tell him the legend of the teru, cannibal breed. Cats that walk about by day on all four paws, lost in anger and violence. Possessing red eyes and saber-toothed fangs, they live only to find and feed off other cats and pass on their sickness, robbing us of felinity until we are all mindless creatures of instinct. They can only be truly killed by severing their chakra points. Either a hard stab through the spinal column, or beheading. But this is a children's story, like the Gagaku, designed to keep us in our beds as the moon goes out. I reflect on my recent crawling about on all fours, my delirium, my new pattern of sleeping at night, and I shudder. These are the trials of a new place to live, and I must meet them. Miguel holds me as he sleeps, clutching at the fur on my arm. I will not let the Teru men come near him. From the Journal of James Penrose, Jefferson City, Missouri, June 16th, 1883. It has been nearly two weeks since the flight from the Sixall Mine, and I am still waking up with sudden nervous jolts of energy, uncertain as to whether we are being pursued and attacked. When we reached the city, Captain Oakley sent out a call for reinforcements, and we settled in to wait once more. This time in purgatory has felt interminable for some, and our team found itself 
oddly divided for the duration of our stay. Harry and Agent Pine spent the time repairing Steamheart. Abigail, with Oakley in tow, gravitated now to Raven to discuss her mental state during the moment she managed to close that wind door up in the sky, and how that level of subconscious control might be more easily accessed. He was patient with her, but the pair kept circling back around to the limits of his insight and, indeed, interest. In turn, I found myself distanced from her, spending my days with Major Butler, poring over the timeline of events I had crafted since our encounter at Briar Hill. Where had the orb come from? Where indeed had Krieger, Greta and Charlotte come from? The subject was so enshrouded in uncertainty, so lacking in evidential proof that it became quite frustrating to even speculate on. Butler was as helpful as he could be, but the pair of us kept circling back around to the limits of his insight, and once again, interest. It was as though we had materialized within a dense forest. The further we walked in any one direction, the further we seemed to be from reaching the edge, and the possibility of escape. Too many aspects felt familiar, and yet everything new constituted the disturbing element of becoming increasingly lost. Maybe they're not meant for you, Raven suggested as we sat in a quiet saloon, nursing glasses of beer alongside dishes of bratwurst and sauerkraut. Maybe what was in those orbs was never meant for humans to touch at all. That's why you can't wrap your damn head around the nature of it. If they aren't for us, then who were they for? I don't know. Someone better than us. Orders came through to Jefferson from Washington. I was put back on edge immediately upon hearing them, and I wasn't alone in this. Crew of Steamheart, stop. Proceed to Memphis, stop. New wind door anomaly sighting being investigated. Stop. Agent Wolf dispatched from Nashville Barracks and is en route. Stop. We'll meet you at the safe house on Park Avenue. Stop. Agent Wolf? Looks like they're sending in a guide to get the research and location done ahead of time. Concluded Oakley. Truth's probably getting agitated that this has taken us so long. Memphis, huh? This has got to be the portal we thought was in Arkansas. Harry interjected. How many of these things are there? Doesn't really matter, said Oakley. Not in the long run. We just do our job. Find it, close the thing, and move on. Abigail then voiced what most of us were thinking. How long are we going to be out here? As long as it takes, said our captain. Nobody else can do this but us. This short speech should have been inspiring. But the notion that passages were springing open in the air was clearly a dispiriting worry to all, save for Pines, who spent the following days verbally speculating on the Memphis door, sometimes a far too late into the night. Raven, on June 18th, we made the journey back across the plain to retake Sixel Creek. It was deserted, though pillaged, and on one outer wall, Daubed in what appeared from fallen carcasses to be crow's blood, the following words. We do not forgive. Chorley and Gray resumed an ongoing argument as to whether the new mother should stay there as administrator, 
even now with a fresh staff and an armed garrison to start the supply line back up. In the end, Gray was forced to admit that Chorley was still the best person for the job, and that no absolute guarantee of safety could be had anywhere in this dangerous land. From the Journal of James Penrose, Memphis, Tennessee, July 3rd, 1883. After the retaking of Sixel Creek, we bid farewell to Tabitha and Baby Jay on June the 20th and began the next leg of the journey south. Memphis was preparing its 4th of July celebrations with bunting being draped across the street and quite a hubbub around us. We got more looks for Steamheart itself than most of the previous cities, possibly because they thought we might be the start of a parade. As always, children ran up and attempted to clamber on as we rolled through and Butler had to walk alongside, warning them away in case they were crushed by our tyres. Abigail's expression appeared more agitated than usual and she kept her eyes on the street signs and establishments. I moved close for the first time in a while and muttered, Are you looking for something? She nodded. Have you been here before? She shook her head and pointed out of the porthole. There... She said, with a curious resolution, as we drove past a bordello. Brightly attired prostitutes leaned on the balcony rails, watching our procession. The diamond bell. I read from the sign and glanced at her, puzzled. My mother used to work at that place. Oh. Until she met my father. Ah. She got pregnant. Decided to run away with him. And she was a... Poor, yes. I wasn't going to put it like that. I shifted uncomfortably. How did... How did she know he was the father? Before the last word had left my mouth, I regretted it immensely. The look Abigail gave me in return would have curdled butter. She didn't. I could have been sired by any of a great number of Johns. She chose him because he was the right man for her. I can see why being close to this place would upset you. Do you want to visit and see where she worked? It might alleviate your animosity somewhat. Forget I said anything. She snarled and marched away to the back section. This induced an unexpected spike of rage in me, which I suppressed immediately, but had to bite my lip to contain. What was I supposed to have done back there? This was not information she had furnished me with before. She was upset. I was attempting to commiserate and suggest a logical course of action for her to confront these tensions. I felt the rift between the two of us widening. My own abilities, even those that I trusted, becoming unreliable and troublesome. disembarked at the safe house, a disused textile factory with a roomy storage area where we parked Steamheart. We closed and locked the gate firmly, then knocked upon the side door, and Agent Wolf opened up. She was a slender woman in her early thirties with dark hair and ovular spectacles framing intense brown eyes. You're here at last. I'll put the kettle on. Come in. 
You're English. I called after her as she disappeared inside. Yes, but I've been over here for quite a while. There was a bark and an enormous Siberian husky came galloping towards us down the corridor. They're fine, Rafe. The dog slowed, then sniffed around our knees as we moved through to the lounge. Annie crouched and immediately began ruffling the fur around his neck. Oh, he's a good boy. You're the best of boys. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Yes, he really is. Remarked Agent Wolf, setting the kettle upon the stove and lighting it. You two been holed up in here all week? That's right. I found your wind door on the second day. It's on a boat a few miles southwest of here by the river. We'll go there tomorrow. Why not now? Abigail demanded hotly. Are you in a hurry to leave? Yeah. Let's get this show on the road. We're at sundown. It's going to be safer approaching the boat tomorrow morning. Tomorrow, then. I'm just feeling cooped up, is all. I'm going to get a drink. Raven stepped up beside her. Well, I'm in. James? Are you coming? Ah, we only just got here. Annie groaned, wearily refastening her bootstraps, which the husky eyed with interest. I'll go. Butler offered quietly. But Annie shook her head. James, Abigail said again as the kettle began whistling. I'm not going back out now, I said flatly, disinclined to spend any time with Abigail at present, least of all if alcohol was involved. And I do fancy a proper cup of Earl Grey. Fine. Stay here and have a mad tea party with Queen Victoria. Abigail snapped and marched from the room along with Raven. Annie sighed and followed the pair of them. Harry, who had been sitting quietly in the corner, stood and declared, I'm going to. Then she scurried after them. I turned back to Agent Wolf. Sorry about that. She's under a lot of stress right now. We all are. Not a problem. Sugar? Two, thank you. Major Butler removed his coat and hung it over his arm. I'm going to prepare a bath. There's two up there. At this, Pines exclaimed in what I thought think was supposed to be an affected imitation of an English accent. Oh, spiffing! Dibs on the second one! Can I have my tea iced? Butler called back to us as they left. Certainly, Major. Agent Wolf and I regarded the closed door with equal frostiness, and then, on noticing this in one another, broke into mutual smiles. It's lovely to meet someone from home, I said, extending my hand. I'm Dr. James Penrose. She shook it firmly. Rebecca Wolverton. You have been listening to episode twenty one of Steamheart, Agent Wolf. Written and directed by Alexander Shaw. Annie Oakley and Harriet Arlington, performed by Loretta Saylor. James Penrose, Miguel and Raven, performed by Alex Shaw. Rao, performed by Maureen Foley. Abigail Gray and Agent Wolf, performed by Sharon Shaw. Jeremy Pines, performed by Matt Wardle. Frank Butler, performed by Spencer Lieb. Where the West Begins, composed by Ferenc Hegedus of Shockwave Sound. Comfortable Mystery, Mist on the Moor, Umbrella Pants, Sapphire Isle, and Ossuary, composed and performed by Kevin MacLeod of Incompetech.com. 
Our $15 patrons get sponsor credit every episode, so thank you to Abel Savard, Aaron Lecluse, Benjamin Biddle, Cassandra Newman, Chris Finnick, Kieran Datchler, Dan Hopner, Dan Mayer, Dave Hickman, Duran Barnett, Finbar Nicole, Jameis Enright, Joe Crow, Joel Robinson, Joseph Gluck, Kevin Otero, Lorraine Chisholm, Luke Hatfield, Mark Lush, Matthew A. Siebert, Nick Ord, Sarah Montgomery, Timothy Green, Toby Jungius, Michael Hasco, and Tom Painter. In November of 1872, upon returning to Blackthorne, almost a week after her ordeal in Cornwall, Rebecca sat down to draft a letter that she would later hand-deliver to Roberta Dawson. Her pen hovered over the details as she knew the police would be called in, and should she lie to save the heart of a widow, her story must match in both cases. She elected in the end to inform the poor woman that her late husband had acted bravely in defense of Ravenwood House. It was not an untruth she was comfortable with, 